Hey guys, welcome back to a brand new episode, episode <laughs> of Deep Thoughts. Go ahead. With the Dixons. Good job. We're happy to have you guys back. This I should I should redo our intro to that. That was pretty good. You should, I'm in the middle of doing that, by the way. Really? You should okay. have, I need your input. No, that was whack. I would never have that mm. on our intro. Okay, so this is episode 19. And just so you guys know, we're going to have this in two parts. Um, today's going to be part one. And we're going to start off with our lifestyle tip. And before I get into this, I was thinking about this over the weekend. We do these lifestyle tips every Tuesday morning, but we do them with with the hopes of that when people are listening to this podcast in the morning, that they can take whatever lifestyle tip they like and then practice it and make it a habit for the rest of the week. You know, not just listen to it passively and let it go. That's not really going to benefit anyone. So It's also not going to benefit anyone if they only do it for a week. So let's step up your game and do it for longer than that. I know. I don't want to... I, I think that trying to do every single lifestyle tip every week for 90 days is too much. But I think that something some of them will resonate with certain people and be like, wow, I really need to work on that. Here's my lifestyle tip for the week. Breathe. Uh-huh. Make sure you do that for more than seven days. My lifestyle tip of the week this week is hold yourself accountable slash responsible for the attitude and vibe within your marriage or your family. Do you know what I mean by that? Please elaborate. Okay. I am starting to see this a lot. No, I take that back. I'm seeing this a lot lately where, and I think it's because we were in our first year of marriage and now I'm kind of like observing other people. It's and just, Nina's going, Oh my goodness. No, I'm just like, why did I do this? No, no, I'm just naturally <laughs> kind of just more observant and trying to see what I can do, be better at, you know, or what I'm really great at and other people are not just kidding. <laughs> um, and I've noticed that most people are giving their power away. And what I mean by that is when you realize or when you see that your partner is kind of in like a iffy mood, you know, that could be sad, mad, angry, frustrated, down and out, whatever it is. I think that the other person who's listening to them should immediately step into like a role of accountability. And you do this. That's why I was asking if you knew what I was talking about. Like kind of step into this role of like, okay, I'm going to make sure I take this into a positive manner and be the upper, like quote unquote upper of the energy in this moment. Most people I see, if someone's having a bad moment or a bad day, tend to kind of make it worse. You know, and I'm going to use this as an example. If I come home from work or you come home from work, I'm in a bad mood. You're going to be like, oh, stop it, you big baby. You always complain about everything, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, like putting me down instead of bringing me up. And so I think this um, lifestyle tip is for those people to understand that when you give in to that or you judge somebody for feeling that way, especially in a marriage, I think that's extremely harmful in the long term. And it also hinders the growth of your relationship. Eventually, that person's going to be very... Resentful. Resentful. And, and you know what? Some people are are just so like, they don't share all their emotions with their partner. They have to tiptoe around their partner. They have to like confide in a friend as opposed to their husband or their wife because that person will just put them down or make fun of them for them or not try to understand. So try to be... Try to hold yourself accountable for those moments where you step in and kind of, quote unquote, save the day, because that's how people learn. You know, like when people see that this person is continuously there for me or this person has a a positive perspective on me, trust me, like eventually that that stuff helps. And I like to think of it as like when you have a bad day or a tough moment, this is how I try to help myself lately. Immediately in my mind, this is going to sound really cheesy, but I think of myself as superwoman. 
and like I kind of like step in and assume that role of like I'm going to bring Brian's mood back up like right now. And, you know, like I want to listen to what he says and I'm going to like motivate the hell out of him and tell him the opposite of what he's saying and just like get him all geared up and ready to go. It works, doesn't it? It does. And then you do the same for me. You tend to listen more to me and you kind of comfort me more. But we both have this really good exchange uh, of energy when things are a little bit imbalanced personally in our individual lives. And I think that if other people could learn this, and I'm not trying to like toot my own horn here, but if other people could learn this, I think it could help marriages and families more. Um, So just a little tip. Do you have anything to say about that? No, I agree. I think it's a really good point. I think that sometimes it takes the other person in the relationship to make you aware of accountability that should be held because sometimes you'll be talking about something and you may not even realize that you're particularly neutral or maybe even venting about a scenario um, because you're kind of in your head in that moment and so sometimes it takes somebody else to take a step back and be like hey objectively evaluate what you're saying right now you know where does it fall on the spectrum of positive to negative no but even but it's more for the person listening it's not for the person doing the you know, the one who's upset or the one who's mad or the one who's frustrated with life. It's, it's more about the person listening who should be like in their own head. I'm going to turn the situation around and I'm going to bring forth positivity, love, care, non-judgment and understanding to the scenario by listening, by being there, by. That's what you're saying. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a saying that I agree with that, but I think it also balances the other person, too. I'm saying it, it like pulls it together and helps the other person become aware of what they're actually saying. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it makes them kind of like, oh, I didn't really have to be so dramatic. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, I didn't even realize what I was saying was like. And sometimes when the person's saying it, they don't they aren't even like meaning what they're saying. I feel like they're just saying maybe it's even perceived in a different way. So that's yeah. a different angle to look at it, too. But from your perspective, I understand and I agree. I think that sometimes when you do it and you try to turn around to the person, the person realizes, oh, yeah, why was I even projecting that? That's not even who I am. I don't know why I was doing that. I was just kind of in the moment. You know? Yeah, agreed. Okay, on to our topic. So this is a little different this week. This topic was suggested to us by a dear friend and your friend's girlfriend, Ember. Um, she reached out to me. I was very grateful, by the way, to her. She reached out to me about two weeks ago and gave us a suggestion and a topic. And her exact words are, for it's going to be the title of this episode, it's childhood trauma how it affects and alters someone's overall development in life completely, and how to overcome the stigma of being a victim of your past. We'll cover the beginning, but how to overcome the stigma of becoming a victim of your past will be covered in part two, which we'll be releasing next week. So a little background information on this. I, in in the typical societal sense of what childhood trauma is, I don't think either you or myself has gone through something that serious. Um, trauma to me, let's talk about first what you and I perceive trauma to be, just free flo- floating. Um, no like professional definition. Yeah, I think that's completely subjective to each individual yeah. person, right? There is no definition. Like for one person, it could be maybe they were physically harmed as a child. For another person, they could be they saw a loved one get hurt in an accident. For another person, it could be my parents got a divorce. Like it's, you know, that can be defined in a million different ways yeah it's different for everybody and i think when i was doing some research on this it kind of took me down a rabbit hole it's actually a very dark episode compared to the normal ones we usually do so it took me down quite some like bumps and roads in my past but what i did realize is that trauma quote-unquote can be different for everybody and the level of pain cannot be 
I can't sit here and say I suffered more than you or you suffered more than me. And I'm not saying you, I'm talking about anybody listening to this podcast. Pain is relative. Like it's subjective. Like to that individual child, you know, a divorce might've torn their life apart and they're just traumatized by it for whatever reason. And maybe um, for somebody else whose parents got divorced and they were the same age, it was traumatizing, but it didn't have that much of a, an effect on them to for them to look back on it and call it childhood trauma. So it, it's very different from person to person, from child to child. But while doing research, I also realized that childhood trauma is very specific to like some big events or repetitive events in somebody's life or repetitive behavior or somebody in their life who just keeps doing something to them over and over again. And why it's called childhood trauma is because our brains have not developed yet. So even as a kid, your nephews who are, I believe, three and six right now or two and six, something like that, they are so young when I observe them, they're still growing even physically. Forget their brain. Like they can run and trip very quickly. You know, they can hold a plate of food and just like drop it without even tripping because they're they're still growing. Their movements, their mobility, their bones, their hands, their sensories, their perceptions, that's all still growing. And so it's very important to realize that, I guess we're not really talking about parents here, but when parents are observing their kids or trying to raise kids, I think it's important to look at them and say, my gosh, this is like a growing human. Just because he can talk, just because he can cry, or look at me or tell me what he wants to eat doesn't mean that this this child knows how to handle everything or understands everything. They're going to perceive my raised voice very differently than what I'm trying to say to them. You know, like I might think that my voice isn't loud, but then they might catch on to it in a different way and hold on to that for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. So it's very different. And although I do not know any one of our listeners and what trauma they've been through, or I do not know the specifics around Ember's story, it does make me, it, it almost helps me step back and think, you know, every one of us, when I'm driving down the street, or I'm going to my workout class, or I'm going to the office with you, or I'm meeting new people, or we're out at a bar, everyone has a story. And sometimes we forget that because we're so much in our heads. Mm -hmm. And we're only paying attention and perceiving what that person is sharing with us. If that person's smiling, we assume that person's happy. You know, but... There's more depth to all of us, and some of us have really buried those issues behind. So we'll just talk about, like, generally right now what childhood trauma really is. And according to, like, a definition that I found online, it's trauma results from an event, series of events, or set of circumstances that is experienced by an individual as physically or emotionally harmful or threatening and that can have lasting adverse effects on the individual's functioning and physical, social, emotional well-being. I literally just read that off the thing. But there are three main types of trauma. There's acute, chronic, or complex. Acute is when it's just like one incident. Um, I could see acute being like, say you're little and you like see your brother get hit by a car or something like that. That would be an acute incident that's not going to happen on a recurring basis, right? Yeah, something like immediate and like massive. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Chronic trauma is repeated and prolonged, such as domestic violence or abuse. What else? I think chronic could probably be when your parents are going through a divorce too, though. I mean, court dates and fighting and arguing and all that, you know, mm -hmm. right? I guess it could fall to that category. Complex trauma, which is the third type, is exposure to varied and multiple traumatic events, often of an invasive interpersonal nature. 
I throw that into like sex, sex sexual abuse. Could be. Um, but it could be anything. It could also be like a combination of different types of acute scenarios that happen, like one after the other, that are like totally unexpected, you know? Yeah, like a story playing out that's just like negative in somebody's family. Mm-hmm. Um, some examples of trauma are natural disasters, sexual abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, a medical injury or illness. I never thought of this one. If a kid is born with some sort of illness or, you know, gets a medical injury super young or has procedures in the hospital and always spending time there, you have to think about what that does to a kid's mind. Usually kids are smiling and laughing and playing like in a children's hospital. Well, who am I to say? This is just what I see on TV. But um, you got to think that as the kid grows older, they must have this kind of like phobia or like this fear of like they're going to get sick again. Or mm-hmm. if they do this, they're going to get sick or like germaphobes or something. This reminds me of a, of a story. So I was watching, I don't even know what season it was, of Don't Be Tardy. Okay. And one of their kids got bit by their dog. You, you saw this episode with me. Did you know this year on their podcast, this was like two, three years ago, this year on their podcast, Kim and Croy shared how they got him a, I don't know what they're called. He's some sort of like trauma healer. Um, I forget the name of the book too, but she specifically sought this guy out to talk to her kid who was bit by the dog. He was like six years old, maybe less than six to talk to him because she didn't want him to be traumatized for the rest of his life from animals or from that incident because it was just so catastrophic in the way that it had happened in their home with their family dog. And when I saw that or when I heard that episode, I thought to myself like many parents or at least parents or your parents and my parents, we don't think about that. Mm-mm. Growing up, they never sought anybody or anything whenever we had some big incident or big issue in our lives. Granted, it might be somewhere in our subconscious just hiding there, but... I think every parent, I think that should be a part of parenting to like seek out people to help your kids not be traumatized by something and learn early on how to handle something that's so traumatic to somebody. Um, another example is community violence, neglect, deprivation, traumatic grief, a victim of a crime, kidnapping, accidents, school violence, or a loss of some sort or of somebody. But while doing all this, now that's like a your typical Merriam-Webster definition of childhood trauma. Now, again, we're going through this because not everybody has dealt with childhood trauma. And for me, too, I don't consider what I've gone through, what I consider to be like something that I've grown from, that I had to heal from, traumatic. Or, or even, it's not even, it wasn't even, it didn't happen in my childhood. Let's just put it that way. So let's talk about more because there's probably more listeners, too, who will relate to what I'm about to say. That even though it's not as traumatic as this list I just read or as the definition we just talked about, what else could be traumatic? that maybe our society has just become used to and the adults and the parental figures in our life don't think about it anymore and they just let those things slide. Like, does anything come to your mind? School. (laughs) Dude, in so many ways, that's true, though. I feel like for so... But, I mean, it's never, like, looked at or discussed in that way, but I feel like the structure of how our current educational system is can, like, can be traumatizing to young students in terms of like a lot of these definitions that you just laid out, like, you know, it's, it may not be something that gives them like a, an immediate negative effect from it, but like this persistent filtering of information and indoctrination over a period of time is like 
literally created a society that's very different from how it could be. I think it's beyond that. I think like trying to force kids from a very young age all the way up till college telling you what to do, what time to get up, what time to walk in the door. You can't do this. You can't. I went to a private school, so I literally had to get permission to go to the bathroom. Okay? You can't be found in the halls at this time. You can't be at your locker at this time. It's very you, like prison-esque. Yeah, and it's like almost like controlling you, putting you in this box and trying to make you conform where it gives you absolutely no room to express yourself or to grow, which is so crucial to a young child and also too if you think about it from some of those definitions you laid out like what if there's a student that you know hates mathematics for example right Mm -hmm. and they're just forced over and over and over again throughout 12 years of their life they're forced to take math they're forced to take math what if this student is literally like the most brilliant artist in the world that's ever been born but he didn't have a direction with his curriculum that allowed him to play to his strengths and instead made him take all the stuff repeated over and over again, which restricted amount of time that he could work on, on his artwork. Like I feel like things should be tailored around that in terms of playing to your strengths. But like that could be considered some type of trauma by like, you know, you have this fear of math almost because you're getting it beat into you and you're forced to do it nonstop. When in reality, like this structure is taking away potentially what somebody can excel with. I don't think people, adults realize what some kids go through when they're, they have to like take a test or do something that they don't like to do at school. Like I would get physically sick. That's how I got ulcers when I was really young. Like I would physically get ill when I had to do something that I didn't want to do. Like it was very apparent to me. And although like I'm not going to compare it to childhood trauma, it has affected me to a point where I just become a very shy person and a very, very resisting individual. Like I resist everything at first i resist anything or anyone of authority like i'm not you know this i just cannot someone tells me what to do or gives me feedback or talks to me, i just i shut down completely and it's because of that like there's just things that i just never wanted to do but the reason we're tying tying in these kinds of scenarios that can happen to you in your childhood and still have the same effect on your growth and development as as if it were a serious childhood trauma is because the effects are still the same. That's the problem. When I, when you take a kid who had like a smaller incident of childhood trauma versus somebody who really like, I don't know, witnessed gun violence or something when they were little and saw somebody pass away in front of their eyes, it still sticks with them and still hurts them the same. You know, both of those kids are going to grow up having some sort of fear, some sort of negative effect from that incident that's going to stick with them for life until they're able to grow up and understand and pinpoint like, oh, my issues stem from that one moment when I was a kid. I never processed it. I never healed from it. I never broke it down for myself. That's why we're talking about this, that I believe childhood trauma is way more than what the internet says. I also believe and this is based on personal experience that childhood trauma doesn't have to be for somebody at the age of zero to six or 12 13 14 10 years old 11 years old i think it can happen in your 20s i absolutely think it could it could definitely happen in your 20s if you i think 30s you're aware enough and i think you kind of become an adult but not everybody grows at the same rate not everybody's mental capacity to perceive life and to understand life is at the same rate. So I don't even think you could put an age on this. I think things can happen to you well into your 60s that literally tear your life for the next 30, 40 years mm-hmm. for as long as you're alive. Um, 
I call those people jaded. Then, well, then you got to, I think, just understand, do you call that childhood trauma or do you just call no. that trauma? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I think that things can... I think they're they're probably defining childhood trauma by like how generally it's defined in society in terms of that age of zero to... Whatever it, whatever is. it is. I'm just saying that it could be at any, but the effects are still the same is what I'm trying to oh, yeah. relay. I mean, so Trauma can happen at any age. Yeah, somebody listening could be like, I went through something really bad when I was 25 years old and... I'm still messed up from it and I'm 31 today. Like, okay, like that's still trauma. It might not be childhood, but don't disregard the information that you could be reading online and helping yourself. It's the same. I think the effects are still the same. And I also believe the solution is also the same, um, which we'll talk about next week. But some I talked about the age that I think it happened at any age, but I think some of the examples of this like lesser trauma could be controlling adults in your life growing up, very forceful, authoritative adult figures. It could be aunts, uncles, grandparents, parents, babysitters, whomever. Um, very fearful parents. Sometimes, and understood, rightfully so, parents are very quick to be like, don't do that. Don't go there. You know, if you do this, you're going to get, you know, hurt and you're going to, X, Y, Z, you're going to land in jail. You know, like everything is just so extreme and like they think like the worst case scenario. Um, I think that repetitive type of negative talk constantly to a child is very, uh, they grow up to be very fearful. Mm-hmm. They Like that to them, repetitive, repetitive negativity and fear, negativity and fear. Forget how it hinders their overall development and growth in life. That's obviously that's going to happen. But just imagine how it how it like carries on with them well into their adulthood. Does that make sense? Like it's not the trauma that's that the Internet or Merriam-Webster says, but the effect will still carry and be the same, you Mm -hmm. know. And that's one thing. Um, A traumatic experience with a loved one in your family. So a traumatic experience doesn't just have to be something that happens to you. It could happen to a loved one in your family. It could happen to a sibling, a parent. Um, I know two people off the top of my head who's fathers um commit suicide and that's not i'm not going to speak on that because i don't know i don't have experience with that but that has both times done something i mean it's just like a it's like a what do i want to say it's like a switch Mm -hmm. it's completely changed those people and their outlook on life and i feel like it's almost like a cloud you know because what kid you look up to your parents and what kid deserves that. But then as you get older, you start to have these conflicting feelings of of sadness, of you want to forgive them, you want to understand, then you feel pain for them that they must be they must have been so sad and in so much pain that they felt the need to do something like this. I was a kid, I didn't understand. Today I still don't understand, but I kind of understand. You know, like it's so like it's it's just so messy. Abandonment issues of parents, parents in and out of your life growing up, emotional codependency between parents and young kids. This is another one that I see. Parents very quickly, as kids become teenagers or in their 20s, to keep a control over kids, will try to make their kids make certain decisions and choices based on what the parents selfishly want. By saying like, oh my gosh, like he's just such a nice guy. I think that you should marry him. Like, come on, what are you going to do? Make me wait? Like, I'm not going to be around for long. Like, I want to see you get married. I want to be in your wedding, blah, blah, blah. Not thinking if this is the right person for their son or daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you call that. What's the word for that? 
Like when parents oppress their own fears and make the kids feel sorry to, and then try to force them emotionally to make a decision exactly the way the parents want them to. Yeah, we've talked about this in past episodes. And I think it has to go into when people are trying to project their own fears on you. Like they're fearful that this person may not get married on a timeline that they think they should be married on because maybe that's what happened to them or maybe that's what they wish oh, yeah, happened they'll be to alone them. Forever, so I think yeah. it's, it's more around a projection of their internal anxiety or fear on another person. Yeah, which takes me back to the point where you think it's great to have kids at 20 or 50 or 18 or 21 or 25. You're not half aware. You're going to take all of your bullshit issues and dump them on your kids. How is that helpful to anybody or conducive to anyone? I think it also changes a lot as, as the times change. Because if you think about like our parents, they all had children at those ages, right? But like these days, people are having children later and later in life. They're coming out of school. They're focusing on, you know, their How career more. How many people more. do you know our age that are 100% normal? I don't know how you're defining that. Who don't have some sort of issue. I mean, every, because our parents were so young when they had us. I don't necessarily know that that's where the issue. You can't like, in my opinion, you can't make a blanket statement that says because somebody's parents were young, that's why they. I'm not making issues. a blanket statement. I'm saying that that's part of the reason that some of these issues, such as parents committing suicide or doing things or making their kids make decisions and choices based on their projections of their fear and what they think should be right in their kid's life and being selfish about it. That is an awareness problem. It could be. I'm not saying that's not the only thing, but it could no, be. No, it's not the only thing, but it's definitely one of them. I I cannot... An aware parent who's been through life and life's experiences is not going to do that to somebody. You're not going to say, I want to be in your wedding Are you like, and just let the kid marry the wrong person when they clearly know by saying, you're going to be alone forever? You don't want me to be in your wedding? I'm going to die soon. Like that's what that's what I see some parents say that to their to their kids. Mm -hmm. That is so unfair. That's an unfair emotional burden that I think absolutely comes from either the parents' childhood trauma or trauma in general, or now that messes up the kid to make decisions in life and become resentful for the rest of their life, mm -hmm. and they don't want to listen to parents. Makes sense. Um, kids growing up in households where they're always told no, and by that I mean not no to a toy or ice cream. I mean to their ideas to their dreams, to their thoughts, to that's their a, imagination. That to me, I think, is one of is a huge issue in terms of preventing people from reaching their highest and best. If you're if you grow up in an environment that could that could create a lot of trauma potentially, and that's more like I think trauma defined as preventing an individual from understanding the power of their mind and, and what their capacity as a human being is. On a basic three D level, I get what you just said. It also means like traumatic in the sense of they'll always be quote unquote behind in life because they just don't reach their potential. The, yeah, they could have a programmatic mindset of I've always been told no growing up. So why would I even try that? That's way too big of a risk. I, I can't do that. Realizing that you can literally do anything. Mm -hmm. um, but for some reason, you had this recurring scenario growing up because of the environment that you were placed in where you were continually told no, you shouldn't do that or you can't do that, which again is per somebody projecting their fears on a child. Agreed. So we talked enough about childhood trauma, what it is. We put our um, spin on it of what we think it is, even when it's not as serious 
as what we really think childhood trauma is. I think there's two types, two types of trauma. But what does all of this do to a person? What is the after effect of it? I cannot describe it per se. Like I don't have words for this. And I'm sure anybody listening might have a tough time putting into words. But hey, if you guys are listening and you know how to put it into words, then by all means, share with us. But I want to say that it literally, the event or the feeling, it like warps somehow and like attaches to, this is how I vision it, it attaches to your body and just like starts to spread throughout your consciousness, your mindset, your perception of the world, the way you take on the world, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with the rest of the world, your relationship with partners, um, the opposite sex, your capacity and ability to do things is also altered. Mm-hmm. Um, you can become very cynical as you grow older. You can become very dark. You can lean towards darker people and darker things. Where I'm always, I'm always on the lookout for that too because I think that's like a very, um, very few people try to put that happy, smiling, like happy-go-lucky face. Most of them are leaning towards the opposite spectrum. But it literally just like takes a hold of you. And as you get older, you forget about it. You probably don't even remember it. Some, some people don't even remember their childhood trauma. You don't remember it. And you grow up and then you start to realize like probably in your teens or your 20s that you have this like repetitive issue in your life with something. Either you pick the wrong men in your life or you're always getting dumped or you're always jumping from guy to guy or you're doing terrible in school or you don't know where to go with your life. Something's repetitive again and it's not pretty. Then you start to like go back and some people go to shrinks, go to coaches, um, talk to other family members and that's when I think they start to realize like, oh, I am this way because of this that happened to me. And I now, for the last whatever years of my life, I've been thinking this way. But I was, this is wrong, you know? It's like they become aware and begin to hold themselves accountable of the fears that they had instilled within them. Okay, accountable in, you mean accountable as in I'm an adult now and I am holding myself accountable for how I continue to feel and process this information? Or yeah. for what had happened to me? Okay, um true and i think but not everybody becomes aware of that okay i was gonna say like that's very true but not everybody has the luxury of becoming aware of it and some people do become aware of it but continue to hold this victim mindset and just blame that they don't work on themselves they don't work on that issue they don't try to dig deep within them their core being and ask these questions and try to change their perception their viewpoint like if they are if they went through trauma and it's completely I don't know, maybe they have a fear now of losing people in their life. Then they have to they have to work on themselves every single day, probably for years on end, on seeing like, no, I can get married and that person will live a happy, healthy life with me and I'll be just fine. They'll be fine. Like you have to see the opposite of what you're used to seeing or what hits you so hard. But that just like anything else, just like this childhood trauma, takes years and years and days and days of programming. You have to get yourself and build yourself up there but people don't do that. That's very hard. It takes a lot of work. It's very painful um, mentally and emotionally to go down those paths for people. So they'd rather just choose to be in that negative cycle again and again and let that childhood trauma define their life moving forward, 
even after knowing. Um, the after effects of it also affect, chi- now this is where childhood and age is a, is a bigger issue. And I think this is why childhood trauma is more serious than the other stuff I discussed because you're, you haven't grown as a person um, in every area. You're, you don't know what society is. You don't know what relationships are. Your brain on a scientific level hasn't even developed fully, which I discussed earlier. And when you do this, it's been scientifically proven. There are parts of your brain that tend to shut down or they regress or they grow, but in like weird warped ways. And that's why some kids grow up with like behavioral issues or depression, which is like a chemical imbalance in your head. A lot of these things start to happen because or, or they're very triggered, anxious people because their brain didn't develop correctly. It was so bad and so traumatic that it kind of it's almost like a quote unquote stunting your growth. You know, um, Something you're like emotional and mental growth. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's very important for I, I don't know the solution to this. I'm not going to sit here and bash parents. I don't know. But what are you going to do when this happens as you get older and you realize that this is the issue? I think that's the only recourse we all have is to step back and just continue to work on ourselves till one day it has no hold on us. But this kind of trauma can manifest in a lot of different ways. And as we get older, I think that that manifestation of stuff changes. And I think that as in our 20s and 30s and 40s, I think these are some of the, not all, and I'm not saying these are definitive examples, but these are some effects of some sort of trauma that we've all dealt with. Very opinionated people about certain things. Um, I'm in, I include myself in that. If you dig deep enough, you'll see why I'm so opinionated about certain things. And because I know that about myself, I can also pick up on that on other people. Mm-hmm. Um when someone is very, very opinionated about a certain topic and is very gung-ho about it, I immediately catch on and want to like know more and dig it. Like I see that it's, it's stemming from somewhere. Something happened. Something opened their eyes to this. Something is making them feel so strong about this. The second thing I think is people who are very hesitant. Um, by hesitant, I mean they're very shy they're very slow to act. They kind of just mosey around. They let their mind run continuously. But when it comes to action, they don't really know how to get up and get out or get up and go try. They'll just think about things, talk about things, but they won't actually go do them. I think that's one. And I think it's a fear of like you and I discussed earlier. That's because of fear. Like when parents say, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. Um, three, fearful of the opposite sex. I think this is usually physically, physical abuse related. Or if you've had a parental figure in your life of the opposite sex who was just very, uh, limiting to you and demeaning to you, Mm -hmm. maybe controlling, um, extreme feminists or the opposite shyness and quiet. Usually it's because their input wasn't valued after, uh, time after time growing up. So they grow up to be that way. They just keep it to themselves. Um, with a physically, oh, this is another one. People who are married or in a relationship with pe- with a partner who is mentally abusive, verbally abusive, or physically and emotionally abusive, most likely chose that partner because growing up, they had somebody in their life who has similar mirror characteristics. And it might not be as extreme as your childhood, or it might be even extremer, but... There's a, a, an important point that you just said that I want to highlight is you said those people 
maybe had that scenario when they were growing up and maybe they now have that because they attract that kind of partner in, their, like in their current state. Yeah. It creates like a mirror. And I think something to point out there, and we've talked about this on past episodes, is that that childhood trauma of maybe this, let, let's use abuse as an example, that childhood trauma of abuse is so ingrained with them as they got older that they constantly have a fear that the person they're going to be with is going to abuse them. And by having that fear, it accelerates the manifestation of attracting that type of partner to them because they're thinking about it in their subconscious all the time. And by doing so, it is then attracting that individual into their life, probably repetitively, until they're able to work on their internal challenges so that they can then break that cycle. That's one way. I think of it also it could mean not just like attracting it because they thought about it so much is that as a child and as they grew up seeing that and feeling that they felt that this is normal this is love like if there is no chaos there's no drama there's no incitement there's no triggering there's no yelling and screaming that it's not a real relationship it's not really love. Have yeah, you, like they were programmed from a young age yeah. to believe that through their environment. You and I have heard that. Like if couples don't fight, then you guys have more issues. I don't believe that. Mm-mm. I think that if you're aware enough and like solid enough in yourself, that's not true at all. So they tend to lean into that same kind of cycle as their parents or whomever was, you know, raising them. And they look for that. And it's not immediate. It's it's not direct. It's very subconscious. They don't even know they're doing it. But if you look at your partner today, you might, if you're one of those people, you might pick up on something that I leaned into this person and this person treats me like my mom treats me. This person talks down to me like my mom talks down to me. This person is dismissive of me just the way that my dad was dismissive of me. Why did I do that? Why did I choose this person? Because you thought that that was normal in a marriage. You thought that was normal in a life or in a family or in a relationship. You didn't think that you could have it perfect. You never took the time to think about having the opposite of that, like something better. I think that's where it gets gets tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, eating disorders are a big one. Anxiety is a big one that happens which is all on all different levels, negative thoughts and fear. Believe it or not, this is hard for me to understand because I am, I am not this way and I, and I never really was. But when I talk to some people in my life, it like takes me by surprise sometimes that a childhood traumatic event or something that's happened to somebody creates these people to be very negative They have very they have repetitive negative thoughts and fears in life. They just become negative people. Why is that hard to understand? Because, oh, I mean, not hard to understand that this is an effect. I'm saying hard to understand some of the people in my life have negative fears in their mind. Oh, they just don't discuss. Yeah, like something is like, it's like out of left field and then I'll have a conversation and they'll just like throw something so negative in there that could potentially happen or that would happen. Some even assume negative things to happen in their life as they get older. They assume they're going to get sick and die. Yeah. They assume X, Y, Z is going to happen. Um, I think that's all because of some experience in their life. Um, that's why they think that way. Trust issues is another one. Panic attacks. Wanting to be alone. 
Never fulfilled or happy, depression, insomnia, and suicidal attempts are all negative effects. This is how childhood trauma manifests itself into children and adults as they grow up. Now, how does this affect the overall development of one's life? We just discussed, first we discussed childhood trauma, then we discussed how it affects us, the physical manifestations. Now we're going to discuss the overall develop, the effect this has on the overall development of one's life. There's four things here that I found during um, my research, and I couldn't agree more with them. It was very, this is probably my favorite part of this, this episode. The first one is, it creates a false sense of self. As children, so this is just one example. Like think of think of this with whatever anyone listening had their childhood trauma in. You know, fill in the blank here. But I'm going to use parents and love. As children, we all want like our parents to love us and take care of us. But when they don't, we try to become the kind of child that we think they're going to love, right? So if I'm not getting this attention from this one parent this way, but I get attention by being quiet and somber and not sharing my opinions and not sharing my dreams and not, you know, dreaming big or sharing my stuff, then I'm going to be the quiet Nina, right? Just so I get attention and love and affection from that parent. It's almost like a pat on the head and an okay. Like I got their affirmation or their acceptance almost. It seems so simple, but for a kid, it's everything. I think that affection, that attention. So you tend to what does this do? You start to bury your feelings at a very, very young age. Obviously, as you get older and you hit life, you can't bury your feelings. You're never going to have a healthy relationship with, forget about the opposite sex, not even with friends or even with yourself. So you bury these feelings and that ends up to create a fake persona. You create a fake person out of yourself that I am this person. I'm going to do this and I'm going to go to school and I'm going to become this person and I'm, you know, I'm going to you basically create this life around like what that person wanted in you. And it's all based on how they receive you consistently. And you can't break out of that mold. And then as doing so, after years and years and years of burying your feelings, you're going to lose touch with who you really are. You're not, you're going to make decisions that are not for the best of you. You're going to make decisions that don't make you happy because you're making them for somebody else or based on someone else's approval of you. Um, This is a protective mechanism so that, me, I'm using myself as an example, like me, little Nina, doesn't get hurt and I can still get someone's affection and attention, but then as I get older, I continue to do it without even knowing it because I constantly want that approval. It could be from a boss. It could be from a dad. It could be from a husband. It could be from a brother. It could be from any male figure in your life or a female figure, whatever your situation or story is. It could be from anybody. And this creates a false life, a false story, a false career. Um a false sense of who you really are. It completely morphs everything and just throws it all off track. <laughs> no, so I could Sorry, compl- I was getting a little serious there. So I, I could completely see though how somebody who's went through something really traumatic as their child is now looking back and saying, oh my God, this effed up my life. Like, yeah, honestly, if you really look at it and have some sort of compassion for these people, yeah, it is serious. I could see it. Yeah. I get it. Um, There's two types of false sense of selves here. So the first one is it's deflated and codependent. This one's designed to please the parents or the authoritative figures and maintain their conditional love. And then there's um, the second type, which is inflated and counterdependent. 
And this was designed to protect the children from feeling their unmet dependency needs by maintaining a distance between parents. So I think this latter one happens to pe- some kids as they get older. They start to kind of just distance themselves from their parents because growing up, they didn't, their feelings were hurt more often than not. And as you start to grow up and become aware, you start to realize this person doesn't make me feel good. This person makes me feel good. This person's negative and it pisses me off. This person's like you start to see all those comparisons in life as you get older and your network grows. Right. So now you're able to pick and choose who you want to hang out with. And many of those kids grow up to say, I'm just going to distance myself from this from here on out. Mm -hmm. Um, The second one, um, the second way that this affects overall development in individuals is victimhood thinking and drama. And this, I'm going to touch it really quickly, but this is also the one that we're going to continue with next week. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think this is a very common theme that you see with, you know, a percentage of people that you come in contact with on a daily basis. Um, and usually the way that I can identify this is it, they're, the, the mindset is very pessimistic. You know, it's like always like things are always happening to me as opposed to taking responsibility for everything that happens, whether it's good or bad, and then saying they're happening for me so that I can either learn from them or that I can accelerate my growth. And I feel like it's easy to identify this. It's like, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm always late because the traffic's always bad where I'm going somewhere. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I come in contact with them all the time. Um, and they're like, I can never make it to anywhere on time because the traffic's just really bad. And regardless what time I leave, the traffic's always going to be the same. And it's just like, it's an excuse based story. Like you're, Oh, you know, sorry, sorry for you. It's always, you know, but in reality, it's like, let's take that same scenario. Take responsibility. Oh, I'm late everywhere I go. I always feel like there's traffic. Is there really traffic or can I leave at a different time? Can I take a different route? Is there this and that? Like take responsibility for it and then act on that and don't have this mindset of things are always happening to me. Really shift that and think things are happening for me to either learn from or to help me. And even when you're learning from them, they're still helping you. I think in the most perfect way to beat this aside from what you just explained how people should just shift their mindset is that realize now that you are not that child okay so you know what you have now as an adult or as a young adult and now that you're aware of your childhood trauma you have a choice you don't have to continue to live in that moment or live with the effects of it you don't have to give it power anymore you have to let it go Um, And I think that's the important part is that you have the choice. And like you just said, take accountability. You have the choice now to change your perception about this thing. You can either keep reliving in the past and keep letting it define your negative behavior and try to make excuses for it. And this is going to sound very harsh. So I'm going to try to say it in a very kind manner. You do have the excuses. I understand that. Depending on your story, like everybody who went through something that traumatic You do have an excuse, but is that excuse helping you get the life that you want? Is that excuse helping you live the best life that you can potentially live? Can't you just leave that back there? Work on it every single day. It might take months. It might take years. It might take some epiphany moment. It might take a lot of deep healing healing and work for you. You might have to seek out that help, but that's your choice. You can choose to do the work and choose to move forward and say, that's not going to define me. That happened 
so that I can become my best self. That showed me what I shouldn't do. That showed me who I should love. That showed me that I'm not going to be that parent. Whatever the issue is, flip it into a positive and say, I learned from that. And now moving forward, I'm going to be better than ever. Like it's a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the opposite to be in a victim mindset, that too is a choice. Yeah. It's what do you want to be? And then sometimes I think it also helps. Um, how would you flip it around? What if you didn't have a childhood traumatic experience, but you were talking to somebody who did? Do you want to always be around that person and their perpetual negative cycle and their negative behavior, their negative habits that are all stemming from this one past experience, you know, now affecting their their husband or their boyfriend and their siblings and their career and their job and they're like 35 years old today and they're still not over it. Like, don't you don't want to be that person. Nobody wants to be around that person. Mm-hmm. Because you're not evolving at the rate that everybody else should be evolving. Because you're too busy blaming someone or something else from your past. Again, that's a choice. You can choose to move with life or you can choose to be stagnant and be back there. And that's when we feel unhappy. When we resist. Don't resist what happened. Mm -hmm. You're really good at that. Don't resist your childhood trauma. Accept it. That's your story. Learn from it. And then make the right decisions to heal yourself and move on from it yeah i I think that you know this is some can be very challenging depending on your level of trauma that you've had but you have to understand that you experience a reality that you create every single day and every single day is different from the day before it and new from the day before it so it literally is your own mind either choosing to continue to allow yourself to be stuck in a past frame of context for a situation that happened or you're choosing to learn how that made you feel understanding it's part of your story yeah and that means accepting that and accepting it having no judgment against it letting it go regardless what it was so that it doesn't cripple you for the rest of your life on a daily basis and deciding that every single day you are going to be having a mindset that is going to be projecting you into the future and carrying you on that lifelong trajectory of positivity yeah what can help also is when you write down what kind of life you want like your ultimate dream life no restrictions no limitations forget everything in the past and you were like given a chance by like a genie and said what do you want Mm -hmm. for the rest of your life you can't change the past but what is it that you want for the rest of your life and how do you want to feel and how do you want to be and what do you want to do and who do you want to be around and then and something you just said whenever you're trying to figure that out when you're doing this audit um and i'll touch on two points here sometimes for people it's easier for them if they don't have clarity on what they do want for them first to write down what they don't want and but that what's important about that is once you define what you don't want hopefully that'll help you connect the dots to what you do want but once you figure out what you do want you need to take those concepts of what you don't want and delete them because if you're thinking all the time in your head is i don't want this i don't want this that's the opposite of how you're going to create the reality that you want you want to get rid of the i don'ts and focus on i have this reality i have this component of the reality Mm -hmm. otherwise you're going to be you're going to start projecting and attracting this i don't because that's what you're telling yourself agreed good points The third way that this affects our overall development in life and continues to further affect us is passive aggressive behavior. I'm going to 
touch on this because I'm afraid <laughs> of this. Um, and, and rightfully so. This is not something that I'm, I completely admit I'm not traumatized by this whatsoever. But growing up, really, honestly, my parents are very, um, very emotionally strong people. You, you know that. They don't, like anything can happen and they just kind of like have it together. And they believe in like pushing forward, moving forward, moving forward. Go, go, go. And do what you have to do to get out of a funk of whatever it is. Don't care if it takes weeks, months or days or whatever. We're going to do what we set out to do. Um, and... This has sometimes caused, for my brother and I growing up, where we could not express, you know, like it's easy for parents to kind of carry you emotionally, right? Like they're the positive ones and strong ones. But then it's like as a kid, when you're looking at something happening or you're feeling something and they're being the opposite, you can't cry. You can't scream and have that affection that you need in that moment to hold you, right? Like when I'm having a tough moment or a day at 31 years old today, you lean into me and let me just let it all out, Mm -hmm. okay? Growing up, my mom was very much that person to do that, but, and my parents are still together. There was no divorce, but two very different parenting styles. My dad was very dismissive of anything sad or negative, my mom was dismissive of negativity. She would just sit there and be like, no, you can do this. And you can, she would say the positive, you know? But he was just all around dismissive of any kind of anger shown towards him or if I disagreed, whether my brother and I disagreed, or if we got sad. Did I just say that? Sad, anger, or disagreements. He was very dismissive of that kind of um, behavior or me voicing that that carried on forever and he's actually like that with everybody really in his life so doing that I didn't know how to express when I am upset about something I don't know well I'm okay now but I didn't know how to talk through things in a calm manner I would just hold it in hold it in hold it in hold it in and then one day just combust like literally word vomit screaming yelling throwing a tantrum and I'll bring up things from like years ago, months ago, all just like out on the table. And that's a very common thing, I think, for people is to bottle their emotions and then something completely random that maybe even doesn't have anything to do with what's bothering them sets them off. And yeah. so then they just release it all at one time. And then it like brings back all these things from the past. Yeah, try you're to bring right. It to the and, and I've been bottling. But I think that that I think for each person, they have this passive aggressive behavior for different reasons. Mine isn't from like a, this huge traumatic. Mine's from this like consistent like, no, no, you're not allowed to cry. No, there's no discussion about this. No, we're not going to talk about it. That is why I am the way you could you could call that childhood trauma on like a much lower scale of repetitive controlling behavior over me. But it wasn't anything, you know, obnoxiously serious or life threatening to me. But because of that, as I grew up and became an adult, I didn't really know how to have conversations even with friends. If I fight with a friend, I just shut down. I literally just like delete by not to- ever talking to you again. I'm very quick to shut people out of my life because that's how it was. That's what I witnessed with myself. I didn't know how to communicate. So now as an adult, I have to pause. And I just learned this like within the last five or six years and I'm still trying to work on it that I have to just communicate and I have to be able to be open to discussing and you don't have to I don't have to write anyone off I don't have to write people off mm-hmm. um before I was like very quick to do that and now I think I take stock before I do 
And with you, I've also learned how to communicate with you where I never, I guess I would have like a certain burst, but like now I realize that me being calm and talking about something is much more, makes me feel better. Does that make sense? Like me combusting five five months from now doesn't help you makes me all. feel like shit yeah. you know like i feel like shit during it and then i feel shit at, like feel guilty after for doing it and so it's like i'm learning that wow being calm and gathering my thoughts and assessing the thing even if it's upsetting me in the moment and writing my thoughts down having a conversation even if i am disagreeing with the person that i'm about to talk to or even if i am really hurt or i want to scream i just now handle it like an adult and still put that one foot forward, you know, so to speak. And I'm not so afraid of being written off or like being like told no because I'm an adult and I have a choice. I can either choose to live in the past and just treat everybody like shit the way I have been or I could grow up and say, no, this person will either meet me halfway or they won't, but I'm going to continue to try to be a better person and I'm not going to be the way that I was as a child. That's that's That ties into number two, victimhood thinking. Sure. Um, the fourth way this affects overall development life is passive. I don't even know how to say this. Passivity. Passivity. Yeah. What does this one mean for you? Passivity means being like just passive in general. I think like, you know, you can. You don't live up to your potential. You don't live up to your potential. You kind of take a back seat because you're basing your decisions out of fear. Like I think this could potentially manifest itself from the scenario we defined earlier when you have somebody in your life as you're young and growing up that's telling you you can't do this you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do this because this could happen it's emotional trauma yeah it's it's basically like creating a mindset where in the future you become very fearful of decisions you make and i think you're looking at things like worst case scenario this is what could happen so instead of actually taking action within your life you take a back seat and you're very passive um, and you're just not living to your full human potential. Yeah. And I think it stems from like at the time of the trauma as a kid, you had no choice. Now see this as a kid, you don't didn't have a choice. Your choice was to just bury those feelings and hide, right? You're hiding a part of yourself. You're not expressing yourself or whatever it is. And then you continue to do that as you get older, which diminishes your potential and you're not living up to the best of what you could be in this lifetime. But with that being said, you think it's helping you. When you're a kid that helped you to bury yourself and to bury those parts of you. But now as adults, I think our feelings show us what we want. I think our feelings tell us who we want Mm -hmm. in our life. And we have to honor those feelings and take actions accordingly, both in a subjective and objective manner. You know, sometimes I think that like when you can become aware of the different emotions you have for different things, that's like your internal GPS. So if you all of a sudden recognize that like certain people make you feel a certain way recognize that and then redirect yourself to spend more time with those people if they make you feel good or spend less time with them if they make you feel bad you know it's like and that's in any type of scenario like if you're getting very fearful before you do something use that internal gps and be like why is this making me fearful is this making me fearful because of a past trauma that i had that i need to overcome and identify and become aware of and and move forward or is this making me fearful because it's like an obstacle that i've never encountered before so maybe i need to attack it head on and like overcome this challenge like there's a lot of different ways that that could manifest yeah i agree um next week we're going to lead this into part two and that's going to be on how to overcome the stigma of becoming a victim of your past so if you guys remember that was number two that was the second thing on our list that we discussed 
on how childhood trauma affects the overall development in one's life. And this is the question that was specifically asked by our listener and our friend. So I'm going to dedicate all of next week's episode to that one particular question on how to overcome the victim mentality. Um, but with that being said, I do want to close this episode out with just saying like, we don't, we, I felt a lot of, and I think I told you this too, I kind of dragged my feet on recording this one because I just felt so many emotions. And it wasn't because you or I have dealt with like some catastrophic childhood trauma. We've had like small things in our life and our families compared to the things that I have read. Um, I did a lot of research on this before I recorded and it kind of put things into perspective in my life too where I can never put myself in someone's shoes who's dealt with something really bad. I don't even want to go into it. But I can only hope to relay information maybe in a different way, in a different light that helps somebody who wants to change and who wants to just let that part of their life go do so. Yeah, and I think too you just touched on it like we didn't necessarily have any very specific childhood trauma Mm -hmm. that occurred but I will say that for me personally I come in contact with a lot of people in my business life that have had serious things occur and I'm very aware of how it affects them in today's current state like I can tell these are people that I may deal with you know on a weekly basis or something and I can tell how things that occurred when they were a child still to this day affect them negatively mm-hmm. in their daily life and they're they can be difficult I mean it can be an incredible challenge some a lot of these people don't have never overcome it and they may not like they may not ever they may grow old and and think oh man you know I was never able to get over this and that's okay you know that's 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 fine uh, not everybody's going to be able to overcome obstacles. Maybe it's just too challenging for them, but the goal would be to try. You yeah, know, the you goal is try. to try. Yeah, and that's what I wanted. I wanted this. It's a dark episode, but I wanted this to be the highlight of it. That's the whole, <laughs> the face you just made. That's the whole point of this one is that we want to focus on what we can do now and on the positive of this. Um, the whole podcast is about trying to be better versions of ourselves, trying to look at the flip side of things in life. But by no means does it mean diminishing what's happened or thinking that we know how you guys should handle it or how somebody should be. No, I'm not. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. It like made me it made me really sad for days on end when I was reading some of the things online. Like it's just so like my shit looks so small. That's what I that's how I felt like. My stuff and the things that I grew up with that I have issues with or the things that I dealt with in my 20s are so small compared to some of the things that some kids have gone through. Like I've had it, I've had it like cake, really. So that's where we're coming from. We don't want people to think that, you know, you've got two phonies here talking about it. No, we admit that we have not had anything serious um, in our childhood and, and we're lucky and we're grateful, but maybe we can help somebody jump over that like little hump in life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all we have for you guys today. I'll share books and, and uh, books and quotes next week when we close out this episode with part two, which will be how to overcome the stigma of becoming a victim of your past. We hope you enjoyed it. And please share your thoughts, um, your feelings, your emotions, your feedback on this episode. Reach out to us. I'm I'm on Instagram at Nina Pal Dixon. Brian is on Instagram at Brian Dixon 06. That's right. Thanks a lot, everybody.